Good evening, everyone. Broadcasting live, April 2nd. Today's quote is about the unskillful. It comes from a sutta that talks about both the skillful and the unskillful. In fact, it's a bit of a paraphrase, I think, or a summary. I'm actually not sure if this is the proper. It actually is from this part of the. <clears throat> mm -hmm, yeah. Looks like it. Anyway, the sutta starts off with the Buddha saying there are three roots of unwholesomeness. Dinimani bhikkhaveya kusalumulani. The roots of Akusala. Akusala usually translated as unwholesome. So maybe that's a better translation here. Because uh, it's not, well, unskillful is a part of it, but it, it doesn't quite have the same feeling as unwholesome. Unskillful is too cold and technical. But it's useful because that's really what we're talking about. What is unwholesome, what is bad? It's really just a matter of doing something unskillful, doing something that goes against your own interests, really. <clears throat> there are three things that, three ba the bases, three bases or roots of things that go against our interest, our own interest, that cause us to do and say and think things that are against whatever interests we may have that um, cause us to well cause us to suffer lead us to have improper interests and interests that are self-conflicting in the sense we want them to bear positive fruit they end up bearing negative fruit so the three roots are dosa uh, loba, dosa, and moha. Loba means desire to get, wanting. Dosa means desire to harm or to hurt, or basically to not get, desire to destroy, to, to eradicate, to do away with something, or change something that you don't like. Disliking, Moha, moha is delusion. So anything like arrogance or conceit, self-righteousness, uh, wrong view, ignorance, confusion, doubt, all these things under the mind that is muddled, moha, moha, it's like muddled, it's the same, probably the same ancient root. So then he talks about these three in detail, he says loba, uh, loba is a, kus, is a kusulamula. Uh, whatever, there, whatever greed there may be, that has. Whatever greed there is, that is the root of unwholesome. All right, whatever the greedy one should do with body, speech, or mind, 
uh, oh no, Abhisankaroti should intend, not do, right? Oh no, to do. That, uh, that yeah, right, with body, speech, or mind, that is unwholesome. So the, the the crucial and and you know this is should be fairly common knowledge to to our community by now, but this is the crucial understanding of um, of good and evil, how they they exist in the mind or they're based on the mind. They're based on the quality of the mind, not on the acts themselves, and. Hence the, as I say many times, the importance of meditation in terms of changing these aspects of our minds, uh, our reactions to things, to cultivate habits of, of objectivity or um, simplicity. You know, it's very simple to see things as they are. It's not easy, but it's simple. If you can get to the point, to that simple state of just seeing things as they are, which, you know, seems actually kind of silly because we're so used to complicating things and we think truth must be complicated. But it's really not. Truth is when seeing is seeing. It's such a powerful statement of the Buddha. It sounds like um, like a child you know, it sounds childlike. But the idea is when you see, when seeing is just seeing, then there's no root for unwholesomeness. There's no bad intention. To say that you then could do bad things or say bad things or even think bad things is not possible. It's not correct. Even though people might still blame you and probably will still blame you. The blame of others is not the reason for something being deemed wrong, right? The question is, what, what makes something wrong or what makes it right? And so Buddhism only goes so far as to say it's right if it actually does conduce to proper and, and to coherent goals, you know? Greed, anger, and delusion don't do that. With greed, you want to be happy. With anger, you want to be free from suffering. With delusion, you don't know what you want. And as, and, but because greed and anger and delusion don't lead to getting what you want, instead they lead to getting what you don't want, not getting what you want. Therefore, they're unskillful. They're unhelpful problematic, causing, inherently causing problems, inherently problem-causing. So these are the three. There's only three bases. And uh, this is so when we meditate, we also meditate on directly on them. And Buddha said, when your anger is in the mind, you know this anger is in the mind. Simply say to ourselves, angry, angry. Not thinking of it as anything else. You want something, wanting, wanting. When you're confused or deluded, you can say confused, confused. 
doubting, doubting, anxious, whatever the kind of delusion it is. And then he makes a simile, he talks a little bit more, but in summary, he gives a simile of a tree. Suppose there was a tree that was choked and enveloped by three malwa creepers. You know anything about uh, vines? Our country doesn't have vines, really. But other countries, they have vines that strangle and can actually take down trees. If you go into the rainforest, it's amazing, these thick vines that not just cover the tree. Just from, and it's just from like a seed, a bird goes up into the tree and defecates out a seed, and that one little seed ends up killing a huge, like, 100-foot tree. I mean, I guess it, usually it doesn't kill the tree, but it can. And so here it talks about these malua creepers, that if the tree was choked with the, the creepers, it would meet with calamity, with disaster. This is like, a, remember the last night's or the recent one, we said the mind is luminous, but the defilements visit the mind. So this is the, he's giving the same teaching in another way. He says, there's nothing wrong with the tree, but it's these creepers. When the creepers enter into the tree, they, they strangle it. And so our desires are like that. They, uh, desires, our aversion, our unwholesome roots are, uh, have like a stranglehold and we become slaves. We become slaves to our defilements. That's the idea. We can't, we can't act other than uh, wanting certain things and angry about certain other things, feeling confused or deluded about other certain things. And we're controlled by this. Our, our actions, our speech, and our thoughts are under control of these habits, basically. You know, we've just built up habits, reinforced them with our emotions, with our, the power of our, our mental uh, activity. or choked like a tree by the creepers. And then you've got you've got another tree, and he, he does the opposite, which is common in the suttas. The first half is about the unwholesome, and that's, I think, where our quote is from. The second half is about a person who has abandoned, abandoned unwholesome qualities, born of greed, anger, and delusion. Cut, cut them off at the root, made them like a palm stump, obliterated them so that they are no more subject to future arising. I'll find this one. Eva rupasa bhikkave pungalasa lobaja papaka akusala dhamma bahina is bahina is abandoned, right? Or eliminated, destroyed. Utkina mula is cut the root. Mula again is root. 
this idea of cutting the root is um, is important in Buddhism because some people will say, well, enlightenment as Buddhism is to be free from defilement, free from craving, right? No craving, no suffering, but that's wrong. Visuddhimagga points out that that's wrong because, well, we don't always have craving. So then at times when I don't have craving, does that mean I'm, I'm enlightened? No, it doesn't. Uh, so there's a, and it's important because there are people who feel like they're, well, maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm enlightened because I don't feel any greed. There was, um, there's a story of this ascetic who, uh, who was so, had such powerful meditation and that he could fly through the air. And then uh, one day he went to, to stay with this king and every day he would go in for alms. The king invited him to stay. It's a, it was one of the jatakas, I think. And uh, the king was, was so happy to have this ascetic there and very powerful ascetic who was like, like he was enlightened, right? Um, but one day the king had to go on business and so he told the queen to serve the ascetic. And so the ascetic came into uh, the room to get alms. Uh, and the queen had fallen asleep waiting for him. And so when she heard him, she stood up. And as she stood up, her robe fell off. And she was naked. And she was actually quite, she was quite, uh, I don't want to say beautiful, but she was considered in a worldly sense to be beautiful. Uh, and so... He, he he was you know he was just hadn't had never seen something and it, it really something like this and it it uh, I think the text is like it came up like a snake his desire and bit him just in that moment he was bitten and and totally infatuated with this queen and uh, normally when he came to get the arms he would fly in through a window and then fly back out through the window. But he found this time after he took the food from her that he had to walk out the door and uh, ended up getting very sick, couldn't eat, couldn't think of anything except the queen. So he ended up lying sick on his bed. And the king came back and found out what happened, went and told the queen and the queen said, oh, I've, got, I've got an idea, we'll, we'll solve this problem. And so they called the ascetic, or they went to see the ascetic, and the, the king said, uh, I understand what the problem is, and uh, I'm going to give you my queen as, as your wife. So you can go and be a layperson, and I'll give you a house, and I'll give you a salary and a job, everything you need. You, know, you, you can have what you want. We appreciate you so much. And anyway, the story goes on that the queen ended up... Uh, giving him so much work to do and telling him do this, do that, and nagging him. And, and, and what she did, she sent him back to the palace to fetch this, fetch that, and he ended up spending all his time just fetching things until finally she grabbed him by his beard. The ascetics, of course, had long beards, and said, wake up. And uh, he gave him a shock and said, Look at you, you used to be able to fly through the air, you used to wield magical power, and now you're reduced to a servant messenger boy. Aren't you ashamed? 
Anyway, so the, the point is that uh, there's a lot of meditation that can make you think that you're enlightened. And even this meditation, you'll get a certain way and then you'll think, wow, I've really accomplished something and it's easy to over um, esteem your practice, overestimate yourself. Talawatukata, having Mm. I don't know. Having made like a palm stump, right? Like a dalala. Something like that. Anambawangkata, having made made to not exist. Ayatung anupada dhamma. To make uh, to make it not arise, to not have any arising in the future. Tideva dhamme sukha. So these are referring to the defilements, someone who has made these through enlightenment. The enlightenment makes it so that these things can't arise. And it's not like a samatha practice where you can uh, suppress them, make it seem like they're not going to arise. No, this is, enlightenment means wisdom. Through understanding the things that would normally cause a reaction, by understanding them, understanding them as impermanent, as suffering, as non-self. The things that we meditate on, understanding even just the rising and falling of the stomach, if you understand it and, and learn to see it just as rising, you can become enlightened just on that. All it takes is really understanding that says, oh yeah, it just arises and ceases. Once you can look at things that way, then these things, there, there's no, you find no reason to get angry, no reason to be greedy. There's nothing to want or like. There's nothing to be angry or upset about. And then, Diteva Dhamme Sukhang Viharati Avighatang Anupayasang Aparilahang. They dwell, such a person dwells in happiness in this present reality. Avighatang, they are unvexed, I think. Yeah, unannoyed, un, undistressed. Anupayasang, un... Payasa uh, is sorrow, yeah. Sorrowless. Parilahang, unfevered. Parilaha is a fever, so this is a common... Um, I don't know what you call it, but common common word, the parilahas are the fevers. So you have mental fevers. They're likened to a fever. Greed is like having a fever because you're, it's like being sick. Anger is like being sick. It is being sick. So the Buddha called them fevers. Titeva dhamme parinibhayati. One is fully freed or extinguished. In this very reality, diteva dhamme. Dite means in, <clears throat> means that which is seen. Dhamma is the dhamma. So you can see, you, you see here and now, basically, is what it means. So such a person is like a person who, suppose there was a tree that was strangled by three creepers. These are the three defilements. Then the man would come along bringing a shovel and a basket. He would cut down the creepers at their roots. I did this once in Thailand. 
I didn't do it actually because we're not allowed to cut them, but I kind of uh, hinted at the problem and one of the laymen cut uh, cut a, a vine. I don't remember how I did it, but I didn't actually say cut that vine. Kind of went around it because we were concerned that if the tree fell over, if the tree died and fell over, it would it would hit one of the buildings. And it turned out that um, there was no problem with the vine. They actually, some of them have symbiosis with the trees. So someone told me it was a shame to, to cut the vines. Anyway, they do this. You cut and then dig it up, pull out the roots. So what he does, not only does he cut down the tree creeper, but he dug them up, pulled out the roots, even the fine rootlets and root fiber. He would cut the creepers into pieces, split the pieces, and reduce them to slivers. So basically, oh no, and then it's not even done. Then he would dry the slivers in the wind and sun, burn them in a fire, reduce them to ashes, and winnow the ashes in a strong wind. That means you know, blow them in the wind, or let them be carried away by the swift current of a river. Basically, totally overboard, but absolutely... The point is absolutely to the very end. Gotten to the point where you've completely removed the potential for regrowth. And so then you could say they were cut off at the root, made like a palm stump, obliterated so that they are no more subject to future arising. This is in the Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Threes. And that's how these discourses go. The Buddha gives a teaching and they're just listed. It's a wonderful book. Anguttara Nikaya is very much worth, you, know, you couldn't read it through it, but skimming and dipping into, it's enough for a lifetime. The Buddha's teaching, it's not like the Bible or something. Most people don't even read the Bible, but so much more the, the Buddha's teaching, how could you read it all? Most people don't, don't ever have the time. But there's so much, it's like an ocean. Well, like diving down in the ocean and you come across such wonderful things that surprise you. Anyway, so that's the Dhamma for tonight. Thank you all for tuning in. Okay, I'm looking at the chat now. I've just put the hangout in. Muddy is back. Hi, Muddy. Simon read my essay. It was very nice. Good. <laughs> That's good to hear. Uh, the thing about writing essays, it, I mean, it was for school, right? It was so, it was more an exercise of getting back into the habit of, or, or you know, even refining the ability to actually write an, uh, a scholarly paper. And so, you know, that's something I've never really been that good at. So. Anything in the Heart Sutra that goes against the Buddha's teaching? I don't even remember. Is the Heart Sutra, which one's the Heart Sutra? That's the... I think that's the Rupang Shunyatang. Let's see here. 
Right. Sariputra rupang shunyatang. Shunyatang rupang. Um, so would I take, would I take, uh, what's the word, take issue with, is uh, it's not the Dhamma. The Dhamma is that form is void, not form is voidness. And I know they've, I'm, I'm, I, I'm absolutely, anything I could say about this is going to be you know, derided or, or just rejected by Mahayana, they say, oh no, because they have very uh, sophisticated arguments to explain why form is voidness or what is meant by that. But as I said, to me it's sophism. You know, yeah, yeah, talk all you want. It's not the truth. Form is void. It's the teaching. And that's an important teaching because it's void of self. It's void of pleasure. It's void of stability. But the Heart Sutra does something that is not the Buddhist teaching. So, you know, you can quote me on that. Um, you know, could you interpret this in a dharmic way? Sure, probably. But look, I mean, where does it go? Sariputra, the characters of voidness of all dharmas is non-arising, non-ceasing, non-defiled, non-pure, non... See, non-defiled, non-pure, it's, it's eel-wriggling. It's like neither this nor that. In void, there is no form, feeling, so in the void, well, that's kind of dharmic. We're talking about Nibbana, then in the void. But then look, it's going to get weird. No ignorance and also no ending of ignorance. No old age and death and no ending of old age and death. I mean, yeah, yeah, I could write something like this. A six-year-old could write something like this. Sorry, that's... Not going to be taken very well. Therefore, the Prajna Paramita is the great magic spell. I think Dharani is the word, right? So the idea is that if you chant this, it's a protection, which we do in ours. And then there's this weird thing at the end Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasangate, Bodhisvaha which is a spell. I mean, people like these, this is this is not high or any high dharma or high religion, this is low religion. People like these. In Thailand, they have all these um, gatha. Gatha just means verse, but in Thailand it becomes a, it has a, a different meaning. A gatha is a magic verse. So if you say gate gate paragate parasangate bodhisvaha, people believe that's powerful. Anyway, sorry to trash talk it, but uh, I don't value this sutra. It's not valuable to me. It's very short, huh? I didn't realize it was that short. Should meditators have a pet? Mm. I don't want to get into it, but no, I, I think meditators should not have pets. They are just a burden. I mean, 
I've given talks on this. So again, this is why I don't answer questions in text because most of the questions you ask, I've just, you know, I've, I've given videos on this and it's again and again the same thing. So, but um, you know, briefly, if you've got an animal or if you, you know, if you're going to take care of an animal, that's fine. But for someone to say, hey, I'm going to go get a pet, bad idea. It's just a burden, it's a, especially for meditators. It ends up causing distraction, and it's a long answer. You know, I've talked about this, and 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 not everyone agrees with the things I say. But uh, and part of the thing is you're trying to help a being that is very difficult to help. There's only so much you can do for a, an animal, and and if you're going out of your way to do that, you say, hey, I'll go to the pound and pick up, you know, an animal or something. It's all about uh, efficiency. You end up spending so much time and money and effort, and you get attached. Of course, there's all the defilements associated with pets um, for very little benefit, relatively speaking, as opposed to, you know, Michael, who's here now from America. So I put my effort into him, and it's actually very little effort. He works very hard, and I just have to teach him, and, and the benefit is awesome. His life could change from this. We'll have, see, we'll have an interview when he's done the course and hopefully he'll be up to that and you can all hear what he has to say. So Michael's here. Um, <clears throat> he's uh, planning on sticking around for some months. Hopefully he can act as a steward for a while. He's from America, so he can't stay long term. Well, maybe he can. Maybe we can work that out. But he'll stay some months. Hi, Ken. You've joined the Hangout. Do you have a question for me? Uh, You're live. Who are you? Do I know you? You look familiar. You're muted again. Okay, well, in that case, I'm going to say goodnight. Have a good night, everyone. We see Dimaga tomorrow at, I don't even remember when it is, 2 o'clock, right? Tomorrow at 2. Good night. <laughs>